The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, well, we are in the, uh, the second week of a series that we started last week uh, called Frequently Asked Questions. Uh, and for those of you that weren't here, really the, the nature of this series is it's going to work like this. Is uh, A few weeks before this one, uh, we had the opportunity for you all to submit any questions you want to discuss, anything about life, Bible, God, whatever, uh, submit them. And then I kind of compiled them up into these little clumps. And so each week we're going we're gonna to tackle some questions. Uh, and so last week we talked about death. Uh, so if you want a real chipper start to your summer, you can go back and listen to that one. Uh, and then uh, today we're talking about world religions. Next week we'll talk about uh, denominations, Christian denominations, and kind of those distinctions and what that all means for us. Uh, the next week will be election. Once again, that's not the presidential election. Uh, this is divine election unto salvation. It's a theological term. It'll be a really fun Sunday. Uh, and then uh, the next one is uh, Ascending Sunday, which is where we'll gather here briefly, but we're going to take a break from the series because we're just going to do kind of a quick devotion, and then we're going to be out in our community serving and, and helping those in need. And so we're just going to take a breather from the series then. July 10th, we're going to do questions on the Bible. Uh, I mentioned last week, I, I've got a buddy of mine who's an Old Testament scholar finishing up his PhD at UT right now in he Hebraic studies, and so he's going to be here and, uh, and teach alongside me for that. Uh, and then we'll do questions on morality, some of the, the big ones that people submitted then. Uh, so that's what we got going on with this series, and uh, looking forward to it. Uh, but today you can see we're covering world religions, and in particular the reason we're talking about world religions today is because this question came into me, uh, and, and the question was this, uh, how do we love our Muslim neighbors? That was the question. And, and, and honestly, like at face value, the answer to that question could be like a three-word sermon, right? How do we love our Muslim neighbors? Slash Nike slogan, just do it, right? Like, like that, that could be it, we'd go home take a nap, right? Very simple. Uh, but just because that, that question on surface is really straightforward and the answer seems really simple, the reality is in our current cultural uh, landscape, we all know that's an incredibly weighty question. It's a really weighty question. Because on the one hand, I can tell you right now, somewhere in the world, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are being persecuted by people who would call themselves, self-identify as Islamic extremists. And right now, literally, two doors down at the store, the owner there is Muslim. And he's a really nice guy. And he asked his employees to park in the grass. And he made us a cake for confirmation. He's a good dude. Right? And so, so we got both these things here. And so in order to avoid sort of politicizing and, 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 and speaking into this topic that way, what I want to do this morning is really couch this conversation uh, in, in, a, in a bigger context of not just Islam and Christianity, but really looking at a Christian approach to world religions as a whole. How do we understand all the different faiths that surround us in our culture? And hopefully that will guide us in some specific practices this morning. Um, and so when it comes to, to thinking on world religions, there's, there's two common errors that people fall into in our culture. Two common errors that people fall into when it comes to this. The first one is tribalism. And the second one is what I'd call cultural snobbery, or snobbery for short. Okay, so the first one is tribalism, second one is snobbery. Uh, and we see them both, you see them both, all the time. All the time you see them. All right, so, so first of all, let me just tell you about tribalism. Uh, a few years ago, I was, I was working at a church in, in Minnesota, and, uh, and they, they had a, a Sunday morning adult Bible study, and they were doing a series, it was a couple-month-long series on Islam. 
and, and just teaching what they believe and what that looks like. Uh, and so this is a larger church. There are four pastors on staff, and I was there as a, as a pastoral intern. Uh, we call it a vicar, so I was like low guy on the totem pole. And, and so I only I got to teach just one week in this study. Uh, and the week that was assigned to me was angelology. That's right, the study of angels. You didn't even know that was a thing, did you? It is. Uh, and so, so I, I, uh, I was talking on angels, and I was like, I got to figure out what that's about. And so, uh, so I, in particular, I was looking at the Islamic understanding of angels and demons. And so, so I got to work, and, uh, and I prepped my lesson, and so I read some Muslim scholars. I looked at some key passages in the Quran in regards to angels and demons. It's actually phenomenally fascinating stuff. We don't have time for it today. But at any rate, uh, and then that Sunday I got up, and, and I, I presented on, on the distinctions and similarities between Christianity and Islam when it comes to an understanding of angels. I felt pretty good about it. But immediately following my presentation, this man just came charging at me like a rhinoceros. And, and he's big too, right? Midwestern, right? So he just comes at me and he comes up and he goes, he says, each week I've come here and I've heard you pastors talk about Islam as if those people over there aren't our enemies. And then he said, I'm tired of wussy pastors. When are one of you going to step up and tell the truth? And so I punched him. <laughs> I didn't do that. This is tribalism. It's them over there versus us over here. They're the bad guys. We're the good guys. And we just got to fight them. We got to fight them. That's tribalism. It's not good. It's not good. But then there's the other side of the coin. It's what I'd call cultural snobbery. So... Uh, a couple months ago, I was sitting down with a friend of mine, and, and he and I were talking. I don't remember why we were together, but at some point in the conversation, he just said this. He said, hey, Gabe, I, I just want you to know it's okay with me that you're a Christian. And I thought, oh, good. I was really worried about that. <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, and he said, but, but I just want you to know, you know, you know I'm not a Christian, uh, and, and here's why. Because, you know, unlike you, Gabe, I, I've seen a lot of the world. And, and after seeing so many things, there, there just can't be one true religion. Like, I think there's definitely something more out there. There's some sort of divine something. But there just can't be one true one. And plus, Gabe, you got to admit, right? They're, they're all kind of the same thing, aren't they? You ever heard anything that way? Am I the only one? Okay, heard something along those lines. And in a world of religious strife, that actually sounds really nice, right? It sounds really enlightened. But the reality is, that kind of perspective is just as ignorant as the first guy I talked about. It's just as ignorant. Because the truth is, if you were to put a Christian uh, pastor, a Muslim imam, a Jewish rabbi, a Buddhist monk, all in the same room, we'd say, yeah, actually we're pretty different. The way we see the world, what we care about, what our values, we're pretty different. It's pretty distinct. It's, it's not the same thing. And so... If we recognize that, what my friend was saying in this conversation when he said all religions are kind of the same thing anyways, what he was saying is this. All you religious idiots haven't really grasped my 21st century Western post-enlightenment understanding of the world. And the literally billions of people around the world that have deeply held religious convictions, they're not as educated as I am. One day they'll get it. Right? It doesn't get more patronizing and paternalistic than that. It just doesn't. It's cultural snobbery. It's not a good thing. Here's the beautiful thing about the Bible. Here's the beautiful thing about our passage for today. 
It doesn't advocate tribalism, and it doesn't advocate snobbery. It makes no room for tribalism. It makes no room for cultural snobbery. And so what we're going to see in our text today are four truths. That's right, four, not three, kids. Uh, four truths that help us navigate the nuances of world religions and love our neighbors of other faiths. All right? And so these truths are this. First of all, religions may appear superficially alike, but deeply they are different. Secondly, sincerity while commendable, is not the litmus test for truth. Third, differences make a difference. And four, Jesus is unique. All right? Religions may appear superficially alike, but they are deeply different. Sincerity, while commendable, is not the litmus test for truth. Differences make a difference. Jesus is unique. All right, so let's get going. Uh, Look with me at verse 1 in our text. It says this, Beloved, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. All right, so John is the author of this text, the Apostle John, and he's writing to a Christian church in in first century Roman Empire, and they're just getting started. They're just trying to figure out what does it mean to navigate Christian life? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And he says to them, hey, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. I'm just going to stop us right there, right? Because that's weird, right? For those of us in the 21st century West, like we don't talk about the spirits or a spiritual realm or that sort of thing. It's just sort of, it's just sort of jarring for us. But let's just recognize this. For most people throughout most of history, and quite frankly, for most of the population alive right now in Asia, Latin America, Africa, where most people in the world live right now, the notion of a spiritual realm isn't weird at all. In fact, it helps them understand reality. And so maybe there's a lesson for those of us here to learn from that. And so John says, listen, that's, that's just real. That's just reality. And so when you encounter something in the supernatural, don't assume it's from God. Don't assume it's from God just because it's spiritual. It's not necessarily from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, that phrase, have gone, uh, is key. Uh, For those of you English scholars out there, it's it's a present perfect, right? Have gone is a present perfect. And what that means is it's a past event with consequences in the now, right? So it's something that happened back then that has ripple effects until now. And so John is saying this. He's saying, listen, there, there may be prophets. There may be folks out there that have actually had supernatural experiences. Some crazy may have happened out there. But that doesn't mean their experiences were from God. That doesn't mean that it's true. And so I say all that to point out there's a reason my buddy, who I referenced earlier, thinks all religions are kind of the same. Because on the surface, they can look pretty similar. Some guy has some divine encounter, passes on his life lessons, and pretty soon there's a holy book. Pretty soon people gather together in some sort of prayer and worship. There's a clergy. Uh, these sorts of things. There's, there's a code, a moral ethic. And in fact, in many religions, the morality looks pretty similar. It just does. So superficially, they look similar. But what John says here is he says deeply, on a, on a profoundly spiritual level, there is a major difference between them. And in particular, what he's saying here is there's a major difference between all other religions and Christianity. And so what's that difference? Verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. 
Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And so what's the difference? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And John says some profound things here, though, beyond just saying Jesus. So first of all, uh, he says, by this you know the Spirit of God. So Spirit is, of course, a reference to the Holy Spirit. And then he says of God, which is a reference to the Father. And then he talks about Jesus. And so even just in this sentence, he's talking about a, a unique God who's revealed himself to us as a trinity, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? But then he goes on. And he says, it's if the Spirit of God confesses Jesus Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's his title. It's his title. And Christ is, is Messiah. It's saying who he is and what he's done. He's saying, listen, every spirit that confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the promised one of the Old Testament, that he's the Savior of the world, that he's the one through whom God is putting the entire world back together. He says that's what the Spirit of God, if it confesses that, and that it confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh, and is from God. That he's not just some sort of random divine arbitration, but he's actually come in this world, into history, real time and space, in flesh and blood, fully divine, fully human, and has come from God as the Savior of the world. That's how you know it's true. And listen, I, I go into all this detail because there's this propensity in our culture to say something like this. Well, it doesn't really matter what you believe just as long as you're sincere about it. Have you ever heard that? It doesn't, it doesn't really matter what you believe just as long as you're sincere about it. Understand what verse 2 is saying. It's saying sincerity, while commendable, is not a litmus test for truth. And so what does that mean for you and me? It means I can and should respect someone else's faith. I can recognize their sincerity. And as we saw in verse 1, recognize that they may have truly had profound spiritual experiences. And yet, sincerity is not a litmus test for the truth. Truth, according to verse 2 here, is found solely in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so what a religion says about Jesus is the litmus test for truth. And so, Muslims would say he's a prophet. Those in the Jewish faith would say he's a teacher. Hindus would say he's an incarnation of the gods among many incarnations that have been around. And the list could go on and on. But the reality is, differences make a difference. Point three. Look with me at verse three. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now understand that this verse I just read and what I'm about to say comes off as incredibly offensive to some people. All right, if that's you, just hang with me for a second, okay? Uh, so this verse says what it's saying is every spiritual experience, every religion, every belief that isn't pointing you to Jesus as the Savior and Lord is of the Antichrist. It's hardcore. It's harsh. Pretty harsh. But what I want to do real quick is draw out 
that word antichrist out of the mythos of American Christianity and put it in its biblical context. All right? So in the New Testament, there is talk of the Antichrist, like one, like going to be there, you know, a bunch of scary Nicolas Cage movies, that sort of thing. So that's there. Uh, but then there's talk of Antichrists. And Antichrists are anything that operates in your life like Jesus, but isn't Jesus. Okay? And most scholars agree that what's going on in 1 John here is that that's what he's getting at. Like, like the word antichrist in the Greek here is, is two words put together, antichristu. And, and antichristu, uh, I think you figure out, means Christ, right? But anti, it, it means something like instead of. So like a, a literal translation would be instead of Christ. Anything that's operating in your life instead of Christ. And so that's John's point here. Is that any belief system in the world, however sincere and profound it may be, if it's not pointing you to the saving work of Jesus on your behalf, it's functioning as Savior in life instead of Jesus. Instead of Jesus. And so what happens then, and this is the whole issue, is that instead of Jesus becoming Savior, instead of Jesus coming down to you in God's grace, reaching out to you and Him saving you and bringing you into His fold, all because of what He does, not because of what you do. Instead of that being the case, all religion then ends up boiling down to being whatever I can do to reach up to the divine. My morality then begins to function as my Savior instead of Jesus. Or traditions begin to function as Savior instead of Jesus. Or spiritual enlightenment functions as Savior instead of Jesus. Or wisdom functions as Savior instead of Jesus. And so what John's saying here is, listen, there's only one Savior. There's only one way it works. It's God coming down to grab hold of you. You're never going to reach up to him. He's got to grab hold of you in Jesus. He's the only one who can get the job done. Because he's real. Look at verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So who is he talking about here? Who is it that is in you? It's Jesus Christ. It says that he's greater than anything else in the world. Uh, so that church in Minnesota I told you guys about on the front end that, that I worshiped or worked at a few years ago, uh, there was a woman there uh, that I got to know, and, and her name was Malar. And uh, she grew up in a, in a Christian home in southern India, and, uh, and growing up there, she ended up uh, marrying uh, a man named Rabi, uh, and, and he was a Hindu man, kind of nominally Hindu, but, uh, you know, she, she would always talk to him about Jesus and be like, Rabi, you know, you, gotta, you should believe in Jesus. He's great. And, uh, and he's just like, hey, listen, he sounds awesome and everything, but, you know, he's not any different than anything else I really believe. I'll just kind of throw him in there with, with the rest of the folks I, I believe in. He's not unique. Well, eventually, uh, Malar and Rabi had two boys. They moved to Minnesota. And, uh, and they, they started worshiping at this church that I was at, Malar and her two sons. Robbie would, would stay at home. And so I got to know them Sunday after Sunday. They'd come in, and, and we became friends, and, and she was a really sweet lady. Uh, but I remember one day I was, I was leaving my office uh, after work. Yes, I had an office, if you can imagine. Uh, it was nice, too. Uh, but but I was, I was leaving, leaving my office after work, and as I was leaving, I walked past the, the senior pastor's office, and in there uh, was Malar and Robbie, and I know I wasn't supposed to look. 
And, uh, and, and in there is, is Millar, and she's just got her hands in her face, and she's just crying. And both the senior pastor and, and Rabbi had these really, like, serious looks on their face. And I was like, man, I wonder what's going on. But went home, and it was a Friday, and, uh, and I showed up to worship that Sunday, and, and service started. And I was sitting there uh, in my robe. Yes, I have a robe. I even know how to put it on. And, uh, and I, was, I was sitting there doing my thing. And, uh, and the senior pastor got up. And he said, hey, well, today we're, we're going to have a few baptisms. I was like, okay, cool. And, and I saw Malar walk up with her two boys, and behind her was, was Rabbi. And I thought, oh, you know, cool, he's going to go. He's a good guy. He's going to go support his family as, as they kind of have this major moment. It's going to be awesome. And so sure enough, what happens is these little boys come up, and, and they get baptized, and it's very exciting. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, Malar just grabs a microphone. I don't know where she got it, but she just grabbed a microphone and, and started talking. And, uh, and she said, two days ago, I was in pastor's office, and I was there to talk about the details of baptizing my little boys. And I brought my husband, Rabbi, with me because he wanted to be a part of that. And as I was talking to pastor about this, Rabbi interrupted me and said, I want to get baptized too. And she said, I told him, no, Rabbi, like, you can't. Like, you're not a Christian. You don't believe this. Like, you can't do that. Uh, and he said, no, I am. I've heard what you've been saying to me all these years. And I don't know what it is, but it's like God's turned the lights on finally. And I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the only way to salvation. And I want to get baptized. And she's just like, waterworks. And, and he's waterworks. And I'm water. It's just a big mess, right? And, and we're all crying. And, and so Malar just says, I've been praying for this for years and years and years. And finally it's happened. And then he got baptized. And it was really cool to see that after that, as he got so involved with his family. They'd, they'd be in worship on Sundays. And then they actually got connected with an older missionary couple and would go out to hospitals and minister to people. And it was this incredible thing to see Jesus enter into this guy's life. See, morality is a great thing. Wisdom's a great thing. Tradition's a great thing. But when the real living God, when Jesus Christ actually enters into a person's life, there's nothing better. It's a whole nother world. It's mind-blowing what we see. And so I say all this stuff, and someone may say, you know, Gabe, at the beginning of this message, you said, you know, that the Bible doesn't advocate tribalism. But it sounds to me like all you've said for the last 20 minutes is that we're right and they're wrong. That sounds like tribalism to me. And to that, I'd say no. Because we can hold things to be universally true and not be jerks. Right? It's a technical term. We don't have to fight everyone who isn't like us. And why? What's so unique about what we believe that shapes us to do that? Look with me at verse 7 in our text. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. See, what the Bible says is that truth and love go hand in hand. And see, so often when it comes to a topic like world religions, we feel we have to choose one or the other. Either i got to go with truth and just burn any heathen that are amongst us, right? And just send them off who needs them. Or I go with love and I say, hey, kumbaya, it's all kind of the same thing, and I'm going to slap a stupid bumper sticker on the back of my car, and that's going to be that, right? C.S. Lewis puts it like this. 
The devil always sends errors into the world in pairs, pairs of opposites. And he always encourages us to spend a lot of time thinking which is the worse. You see why, of course. He relies on your extra dislike of the one error to draw you gradually into the opposite one. You see what he's saying here? Don't fall for this trap. Don't fall for this trap. In other words, don't compromise truth and become a cultural snob. And don't compromise love and become a tribalistic jerk. Truth and love go together. They go together. We see this in verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. And who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's truth and love, and God is love. And see, here's the amazing thing about that statement. See, American, like, American culture loves verse 8, right? God is love. You hear it all the time. Even people who aren't Christian, well, I thought God was love, right? Or the other favorite is don't judge, right? Those are our two favorite verses in the whole Bible, okay? But let's just recognize how amazing this is. God is love because Let's think about love with me for a second. Love requires an object, right? Love requires an object. And so we read something like God is love, and someone says, ah, yes, that's why God created us, so that he could have an object to love. That's nonsense. That makes God deficient. That makes him dependent upon us for him to be loving. And God isn't dependent on anything. That's what makes him God. See, God is love because God is trinity, because he's three in one, because he's in himself a loving community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Holy Spirit loves and serves the Father and the Son. Like, like just think about this truth with me for a second. Like, like we believe that from eternity there is a being that is self-giving, self-sacrificing love, that at the very center of all reality is a God who is in himself love. If that doesn't blow your mind enough, look at the next couple of verses, 9 through 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So this God, this from eternity love at the center of all reality, said, I'm going to make that love manifest in, in the world. I'm going to let people really see what that looks like. I'm going to let people really experience what that looks like. And how does he do that? Verse 9. Through sending his son into the world. Through sending Jesus into the world. The amazing thing is as you look at the life of Jesus, we see in him the perfect embodiment of truth and love. Right? We see him again and again. He spends time with people. And he eats with people. And he heals people who are never going to believe in him, who are of totally different faith than he is. And yet he loves them. And he engages with them. And yet at the same time, we see Jesus always calling people to the truth, always calling people to repentance, always calling people to turn to him. And then ultimately, verse 10, on the cross, he shows you the ultimate convergence of truth and love, that he became your propitiation, really fun word. That's a fancy way of saying that on the cross, he made you right with God. He made you right with God because the truth is we all sin. 
right? We, we all have things in our life that, that, that we, we look to instead of Christ to be our Savior. We all have gods we look to instead of the true God to be our objects of worship. And yet, knowing that truth out of love, Jesus went to the cross for you. To make you right with God. And see, when that truth, when you recognize that, like, transcendent love, when that actually enters into your heart, man, you're, you're able to go out into a pluralistic world and love anyone you encounter, regardless of what they believe. And so let me just end here with some really just like practical ways just to kind of get back to the original question of, of how we can love our neighbors from different faiths. All right? This will be 30 seconds, and then we'll be done. First way you can do that, learn about other faiths. I'm just telling you, church, learn about other faiths. It's okay. You won't compromise your own. I've taken several graduate-level courses on other faiths. I'm still here, okay? Still pastor. Uh, and, and so a great resource, by the way, if you want to dip your toe in the water that way, I've got a good friend, uh, Ken Chitwood, who is a, a religious, world religion scholar specializing in global Islam. He's also uh, an ordained pastor in our church body. And so if you want to check his stuff out, let me know. I can get it to you. It's, it's really, really helpful. Second thing you can do uh, that we can do to love those of other faiths is be extra gracious with those of other faiths in our culture specifically. In our culture specifically, because even though Christianity is on the decline here, it is, it's on the decline here, it's still sort of in the air. It's still sort of part of the cultural air that we breathe. And so, I don't know if you've ever been a minority before, uh, but it's, it's weird. I, it's, it's happened. I've, there's been a couple times where I've been like the minority. Uh, and I was, <laughs> I can't tell you that story. I'll tell you later. Uh, but there's, <laughs> so I was like, it's not in the notes. I'm not telling it to you. Um, but, uh, but at any rate, if you ever have, it's, it's a weird experience. Like, even if people are super nice to you, even if they're super nice to you, you just feel it's just intimidating. And so be extra gracious to those who don't share our beliefs. You don't have to compromise what you believe. And in fact, don't do that. But be real nice. A simple way to do that is if you're going shopping, two doors down. Buy some stuff. Trust me, they'll know you're not from there. Like, it's just, you'll stick out, okay? Um... Thirdly, as the Spirit allows, share the gospel. Actually tell people about Jesus. Because he's real. He's liberating. That introducing someone to the truth of Jesus is literally the most loving thing you could ever do. And so let me just close with the the final words from our text for today. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came into this world for us. You're not just an idea, you're not just a concept, you're not just a tradition that we follow, but you're a person who's real, who can enter into our lives. And so God, I pray that, that we would see you, that we'd see your love for us. I pray for my friends who, who maybe don't know you yet or maybe don't trust you yet, uh, that, that you would become real to them. And Lord, I pray for my friends who've been following you for a while. I just pray that your love would refresh their hearts. That it remove any, any sin or bitterness or anger or tribalism that maybe lingers there, Lord, but that we would live with a, an open heart towards all.
We pray all this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.